Mark chapter number 10 in your Bibles. We'll read just a couple verses as we continue our trek through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We'll read verses 32 through 34. Mark 10, 32 through 34. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and to the scribes, and shall, they shall condemn him, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. The title of our message this morning is Walking the Calvary Road with Jesus. Let's bow our hearts together in prayer. Father, we do come to you humbly and, Lord, again acknowledging our need. I acknowledge my need to you this morning. I pray that the preaching would not be me, but it may be you. May it be a demonstration of Holy Spirit power and enabling. And I confess that I need that, Lord, like never before. So, Lord, I pray that you would use your word to speak to our hearts, mold us, break us if need be, convict us, draw all men to yourself, and may there be glory to your name. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. A number of years ago, I don't know if you've ever read it. Many of you, I dare say, have. There was a small book that was published in 1950 by a missionary and a British evangelist by the name of Roy Hessian. The title of the book that he wrote was called The Calvary Road. Uh, It's been translated into over 40 languages now. It's a classic. It's a classic book on revival, a classic book on holiness, on brokenness. Um, It's a classic book in the Christian life. Apart from the Bible, I think it's one of the best books that you as a Christian could pick up and read. If you've not read it, I encourage you to do it. Maybe we as a church ought to get our hands on uh, a few dozen of these and make sure that we get them into your hands. The very first chapter of that book, it's entitled Brokenness, Brokenness. Hessian said that revival is just the life of the Lord Jesus poured into human hearts. Revival is the life of the Lord Jesus poured into human hearts. He said to have personal revival, the first thing we must learn is that our wills must be broken to his will. Our will must be broken to His will. We are not likely to be broken except by way of the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. Those were His words. The willingness of Jesus to be broken for us is the all-compelling motive for our willingness to be broken for Him. Well said. The fact that He was willing to be broken for us is a compelling reason whereby we should be willing to be broken for Him. Galatians 2.20, not I but Christ. It's the, our theme for this year, 
Christ liveth in me, and not I, but Christ. It is when the stiff-necked eye, that capital I that's us, that stiff-necked eye is bent, Hessian said, and bowed that Christ is truly living in and through us. It is when our eyes, the eye that's in all of us, is bent to form Christ. And it's when Christ begins to live within us. Christ liveth in me. Here in our text this morning, we find once again Jesus Christ. And as we have seen in recent weeks, we find him again on the Calvary Road. He's on his way to Jerusalem. In verse number 32, in They were in the way going up to Jerusalem. Oftentimes in your Bibles, you will see the the, the words going up to. Jerusalem was on a plateau. So in biblical times, in, in, in the words of the Scriptures, when they said they were going up to Jerusalem, they may have been traveling uh, south, but they were still going up in elevation. So they were on their way up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the ultimate and final destination of our Lord. The cross would be the climactic achievement of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. The most significant event in all of human history would take place right here at Calvary, right here in Jerusalem. The most significant event in all of human history, and no, it's not the Super Bowl, It's not the World Series. It's not even the next election. That's the most important. The most important thing is right here in the Scriptures. He's on his way up to Jerusalem. Uh, Mark 10 and 45, I again remind you of the key verse that we've been using as we look through the Gospel of Mark. Verse 45 For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and notice this last phrase, and to give his life a ransom for many. The achievement of humanity here at the cross, the greatest achievement. Oh, what a difference the cross makes. Oh, what a difference the cross of Jesus Christ, the cross of Calvary makes in the heart and the life of an individual. I've heard even some from some of you this week about lives that were changed, and it's only by way of the cross. What a difference it makes. Let me ask you, has it made a difference in your life? Has it made a difference in my life? Harold Vaughn, evangelist friend that many of you may be familiar with, he said, Victory rises out of death. Christ went down into the tomb, but three days later he came out. Christ so completely identified with us that he took us to the cross with him, buried us with him, and resurrected us with himself. Jesus did not come to mend me, he came to end me. The dominion of sinful self and the power of Christ through me. Christ did not come just simply to fix us. He came to make new within us. A regeneration, the new birth, the new life that's in Christ. We see Christ here in these passages. We see Christ who is faithful in his going. 
So he's faithful in his going. We've already mentioned he's on his way up to Jerusalem. His destination was Jerusalem and ultimately there to the cross. There's no uncertainty about his life and why he came. There's no uncertainty here. Uh, Jesus did not die a death of a mere martyr. He did not die a death of accidental uh, happenings and just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, this was planned before the foundations of the earth. He was on his way to Jerusalem. Here we see a faithful Christ. We see Christ who was faithful in his going. Luke 9 and 51, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. The Passover celebration, in fact, was soon to take place. And Jesus would be that lamb that would take away the sin of the world. John the Baptist said, this is the lamb. Behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus had to be here at this point in time. He was on his way. He was steadfast on his way to Jerusalem because he would be that lamb. And he is that lamb that would take away the sin of the world. Revelation 13 and 8, a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus was faithful in his going to Jerusalem. Aren't you glad for the faithfulness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on our behalf? Understand he was faithful on his way to Jerusalem. He was faithful uh, in the going to the cross. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he chose not to do so. Why? Because he was faithful to the task for which he had been sent to. He was faithful in his going to Jerusalem when he came the first time. And you can be sure that Jesus will be faithful to return to Jerusalem when he comes again the second time. Luke 1 says, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of David forever in his kingdom there shall be no end now tell me where did king david reign jerusalem where's king jesus going to reign when he comes the second time jerusalem his thousand year millennial reign it's some there's all kinds of Arguing and all kinds of battles and all kinds of peace treaties being made as to who owns Jerusalem. (laughs) What a petty thing. The Bible clearly tells us it's God's city. Today the United Nations considers Jerusalem, at least sections of Jerusalem, to be occupied territory by the Israelis occupied territory and they took it in other words they took it uh, when they shouldn't have they there was a war and they took it when they shouldn't have and so they're occupying the territory of somebody else's today it's a divided city the Israelis the Jews controlling one portion and the Muslims controlling another portion listen you can forget what the UN says you can forget what the Muslims claim and just know what Jesus says What matters what he says. And understand when you pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You're praying for Jesus to return. To set up his throne. Set again upon the throne of David in Jerusalem. And when that takes place there will be no more confusion. There will be no more division. 
we see a faithful Christ. Christ is faithful. He's faithful. He's on his way up to Jerusalem. Not only do we see a faithful Christ in this passage, but notice number two, we see an out front Christ. We see an out front Christ. Verse number 32, when they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed as they followed. He was an out front Christ. He went before them, the Bible tells us. Jesus is out front, setting the pace, leading the way. For you military Folks, you would know full well in the military, a point man, he's the one who assumes the first and the most exposed position in a combat military formation. He's the first. He, he assumes that out front position. Jesus is always out front of his disciples. You know, let me say Jesus is always out in front of us. He's always out in front of us. It is as though he's hastening his way to Jerusalem. He, he's on his way. He's hastening his way to the cross. No thought of self-preservation here. His goal was the salvation of all men. So he's on his way. He's hastening. And he's out front. He's leading. He's guiding. He's directing. He's encouraging others that are following. Verse number 32 says, They were amazed as they followed. And they were afraid. Jerusalem. And for those who were following, they knew full well. They had, we had seen over and over again leading up to this point. How the... The religious establishment, how they had confronted Jesus over and over again. And they've already set out and looked for opportunities to kill Jesus, to destroy him, to take him literally off the scene. And so to follow Jesus was like following him into enemy territory. It would be the headquarters, the establishment of the Jews that hated Christ. The Bible tells us those who were following, including disciples, they were afraid. But I want us to notice they continued following. They were afraid. There were times when they were afraid, but they continued to follow. They were amazed and afraid, but they kept on following Christ. You know, that's what we have to do as well. When our fears come, when sometimes we don't know what tomorrow looks like. We don't know what tomorrow holds, and it may look like that we're going in a direction that, that we don't have all the answers to. We're not sure what it's going to look like, but we must keep on following Jesus. Why? Because he's faithful. Why? Because he's always out front. He's guiding, and he's leading the way. When the fears and the trials come in our lives, always, always follow him because he's faithful. Listen to Psalm chapter number 61, verses 1 through 4. Hear my cry, O God, and tend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the cover of thy wings. We can follow Jesus Christ. 
anywhere and everywhere. Because he's faithful. He's always out front. Isaiah 58 and 11. And the Lord shall guide thee continually. And satisfy thy soul in drought. And make thy bones fat. And thou shalt be like a watered garden. And like a spring of water whose waters fail not. Keep your eyes and heart fixed on following Jesus Christ. I appreciate these missionaries and we're going to a difficult place. I appreciate the horses heading out to Mozambique. You know what they're going to do? Simply follow the Lord. Follow Jesus. I don't know what Mozambique is like. I don't know what the climate is. I don't know how big the bugs are and the snakes are. But he says, keep on following. Keep on following. You know, whatever you face in your life, it's the same thing. It may not be a call to Mozambique, but it may be a call simply to surrender an area and say, just follow me here. Just keep on following the Lord. Like a well-watered garden. The waters fail not. John 6 and 68. Lord, unto whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Here in that passage, there were many that were following Christ. And it got a little difficult along the way. And and so some of those turned back and followed no more. And Jesus turns to his disciples and said, will you go away also? And they had enough understanding and biblical knowledge of Jesus Christ and to who he was and had seen him and had known him. They had seen his love and his compassion. They had seen his faithfulness. They had seen him out front. They knew enough to know, Lord, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You alone have them. And so often we turn away from God when the difficulties come. We leave off church. We leave off serving. We leave off the Lord. When he says, don't do that, please. Keep on following. Keep on following. Keep on following the Lord. We see a faithful God. We see an out front God. Everywhere you hear today, it seems to me, and I'm not connected with social media. I don't have that page. Fastbook page. Maybe I ought to get it because so much of what happens gets there before it ever gets here. Uh, I find out that way, even though I don't have it, it's often there. But everywhere you hear today on social media with regards to that, it, it's something along the lines that says this, follow me. <laughs> Isn't it? Follow us. Follow me. Click here. Follow me. Follow me. Maybe we need to do a less following on Facebook and a little more following in this book would help us a whole lot more. Follow me. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Who do we follow when the fears come? Who do we follow when the anxiety comes into our life? Yeah, but God, you don't understand. You don't know how hard it is. And God says, I'm faithful. And God says, I'm out front. And he says, you can follow me. Keep on following the Lord.
19 times in the Gospels, Jesus invites us, follow me, follow me. Over and over again, he says it. Jesus is not asking you to walk point. He's already out there. He's already in front. He's simply asking you to follow him. He's not asking you to take the shots. He's saying, follow me. I'll take them for you. When you go through the deep waters, I'll go through it with you. When you go through the troubled seas of life, when you're thrown into the lion's den, when you're cast into the fiery furnace, I'll already be there. Follow him in saving faith. Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? Has there been a time in your life when you followed Jesus Christ in saving faith? Are you born again? Didn't ask if you were religious. But there's been a time in your life when you understood that you were a sinner. Nothing you could do, no matter good works, could ever save you. But you recognized that you were lost in your sins. But then you were introduced to a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. He came and he died on the cross. He took our sins and he paid our sin debt. Was there a time... When we accepted Jesus Christ, invited him into our hearts, into our lives. Follow him in saving faith, but then we follow him in daily faith. Daily faith. It almost seems to me that for many, it maybe seems easier to follow him in saving faith than it is in daily faith. Because we get to the saving faith and... Then we leave off the daily faith. Lord, I can follow you to save me, but I can't follow you to keep me. I can follow you to save me, but I can't follow you in this circumstance, in that issue of life. Follow him in saving faith. Follow him in daily faith. We see a faithful Christ. We see an out front Christ. Number three, we see a forsaken Christ. Verse number 32, the latter part, down through verse number 34, in the beginning. The latter part, notice the word and there, halfway down. If you let your eyes fall down halfway, a little over verse number 32. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. We see a forsaken Christ here. Jesus points the attention of his disciples to the fact of his death, the impending death. This would be the third time in Mark's gospel that he's addressed this particular situation with them. He addressed it to them back in uh, chapter 8 and verse number 31. We find it first mentioned to them. Chapter 8 and verse number 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. If you go to chapter 9 verse number 31. 
And he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is delivered unto the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Now this is the third time that Jesus comes back to the subject, back to the point, And he reminds them what Jesus is literally doing here is he's preparing these men for the actual event. And although they did not understand it at the moment, when it does take place, the words of Christ, Bring home in their hearing and in their hearts. Can you imagine if they had not been prepared when these things begin to happen? They would have scattered and you would have never heard from them again. But Jesus is preparing them. Maybe oftentimes Jesus prepares us. Jesus is allowing something in our lives. He's preparing us for something that might be next. So that when we go through that time, and when that time comes face to face with us, that we do not scatter, that we do not run. Certainly those disciples in that fear, in the early part of all this that would come up, they did scatter, but sure enough, they came back. Why? Because they remembered the words of Jesus Christ. They remembered the words of Jesus Christ. He's preparing them so that, They would have the faith and they would be reminded this is what Jesus said. This is the way he described this. This is what to expect. Jesus forewarned them of the things ahead. And all the Old Testament sacrificial system had pointed to this upcoming time. Now Jesus would be that final sacrifice for sin. The Old Testament scriptures are literally being fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. And for sure, Jesus had pointed these things out. Can you imagine walking along with Christ and hearing him speak of these particular matters? I do believe that Jesus, maybe he pointed them to Psalm 22, verses 6 through 8. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. And they shall see me, they that shall see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake their head saying, He trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him now deliver him, seeing he delighted in himself. Verses 17 and 18. I tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon their vesture. I believe these disciples were full aware of the Old Testament scriptures. I believe Jesus told them and Jesus pointed these things out to them. And no doubt that he had forewarned them. No doubt that they understood. We read earlier, Caleb read Isaiah chapter 53. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. It would be a Ethiopian eunuch who would one day be right reading and riding in a chariot and he would be reading these passages. 
He would say, who is this speaking of? And Philip would be caught away in a moment, and Philip would run alongside, and he would say, I I see the passages, but who's it speaking of? And from that moment, he began to preach to him Jesus Christ. Certainly, these disciples understood and knew full well the Old Testament. They had been forewarned, and understand, because he was forsaken, we can be forgiven. Because he was forsaken, we can be forgiven. He knew that they were going up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. But what they did not yet get was that Jesus would be that Passover lamb. In verse number 33, back of our text in Mark chapter number 10, it says, We go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priest. The title that Jesus takes here and the, 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 the description of himself he uses more often in the Gospels than any other. It's the Son of Man. Eighty-one times he identifies himself as the Son of Man. Why does he do this? Because he's identifying with us. He's the Son of Man. Is he the Son of God? Oh, yes, he is. He's deity. He's the God-man. He's both God and man, fully God, fully man. But as the Son of God, he identifies with God. But as the Son of Man, he identifies with you and he identifies with me. Touched in every point as we are. Gone through everything you've gone through. Don't ever think that I'm the only one. I'm the only one here. No one else has ever been. No one else has ever walked these shoes. Jesus has. He's faithful. He's out front. And as well as he's forsaken. The son of man. He identifies with us. In his identification with us. He identifies in this suffering for us. This forsaking identifies his suffering for us. We now, and we see this forsaken Christ, it is for us. Verse number 33, notice with me what this forsaking will look like. Verse number 33, he will be delivered. The Son of Man shall be delivered to the chief priests and to the scribes. This speaks of his betrayal. He was delivered. We know of Judas. He was betrayed with a kiss, uh, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He will be delivered. He'll be rejected. They will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. He'll be rejected, not only rejected by the rabbis, the religious establishment, but literally by the entire nation. He'll be condemned to die there in the crowd The crowd cried out, crucify him, crucify him. He'll be delivered, he'll be rejected, he'll be condemned. And the Bible says that he's delivered over to the Gentiles in verse number 33. He's delivered into the hands of Pilate. He's delivered into the hands of Herod. And there he would be scourged. No man really knows what scourging today knows what scourging is all about. It was perfected. By the cruel Romans, perfected to bring a man to nearly to the point of death, but yet stop right at the edge. So that man would be left, if he's what's left of him would 
wish he were dead. The Bible says that he would be scourged, delivered, scourged, beaten, spit upon, mocked, nailed to a cross. Jesus did die on that cross. He was and is the sacrifice for sin. He was and is the lamb slain for our sin. Our sin was laid upon him. He was forsaken by man. We see that in the passage. Forsaken by man. Despised and rejected of man, Isaiah 53 says. But he was also forsaken by God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Forsaken by God. Why? Because he took our sin penalty upon himself. He became sin. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. The father turned his face away. He could not look upon his dear son because of the sin of the world that was now laid upon him. He was forsaken by men. But the greatest forsaking, I believe, is that of the forsaking of God the Father. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. He was forsaken by men, forsaken by God. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. We see a faithful Christ. We see an out front Christ. We see a forsaken Christ out of this passage. But I want you to notice as we close this morning. The very last phrase out of verse number 34. Would you look at it in your Bibles please? And the third day he shall rise again. Here we see a forever Christ. A forever Christ. Revelation 1 and 18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. He is the forevermore Christ. He's forever. John 11 and 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. In this passage, we see a faithful Christ. We see an out front Christ. We see a forsaken Christ. But we see a forever Christ. He lives today to save souls. He lives today to reconcile us to the Father. He lives today to forgive us of our sins. He lives today to change us from within. He lives today to take all the wickedness and all the things that this world would say this is the way of life he lives today to take lies and to put them down because he's the truth he lives today for you and for me and can I say this same faithful Christ this same Christ that's out front of you in your life that was forsaken for you he forever lives for you and he for lives for me and he's coming again and we can trust him question this morning who are you trusting let me ask you can you trust him do you 
doubting? Are there times when we say, he's no longer faithful? He's no longer out front? Are there times when we would dare say that Christ is not forsaken for me? Is there, would we dare say that Christ is not forever, Lord? No, we can't. So, what do we do? We trust Him. In every area, in every circumstance. Who is Christ to you? We see really here in a, if we want to add one more to it, just give it a thought. He's a Christ that's for you. He's a Christ that's for you. Have you received him today? Where in your life do you need him? Oh, I need him every hour, every moment of the hour. You know, when I get into my biggest fixes, my biggest troubles, my biggest issues of life, when I begin to think that I don't need him, I don't need him. Oh, yes, I do. And may I say, you do too. We all do. But you know he's faithful. He's true. He's your friend. He's for you. If you'll simply allow him to have that first place in your heart, in your life. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not saved. Invite you to trust him. Maybe you're here this morning and there's just a sense of going away from God. Maybe you've been estranged for a time. Maybe there's been an issue of sin, an issue of backsliding. Maybe a, an issue of something this world has got in the way of and just clouded our vision of who Christ is. This morning, I just want us to help us try to allow the Holy Spirit to come back and get a fresh look at this Christ that's for us. Receive Him, trust Him, believe in Him. Let's bow our hearts in prayer.